you know, somehow in the space of seven days, two uh, remarkable, successful American icons who were famous and kind of in the, at the pinnacle of their success decided shockingly to everybody who only knows them from a distance that, that uh, life isn't worth living. I'm, you know, Kate Spade and Andrew Bourdon. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's just a, a shocking thing to see. And I, I just, it just uh, reminded me of, of a saying we have in, in recovery, which is never judge your insides against someone else's outside. You know, we look at people and, and we, we, we look at how they look, we look at their uh, careers, we look at their popularity, we look at their success, but you never know what's actually going on inside of them and the struggles they might face uh, personally. And, uh, you know, so, so to, to look at these, uh, you know, successful, charismatic, accomplished, famous people who decide two of them in the space of a week that life isn't worth living. It, it's kind of a, a shocker, I think, to all of us. Uh, but it, it just reminds me, when I look at all of you beautiful, successful, charismatic people out here, uh, you know, I, I see what's on the outside. And we all, all, we, all anybody sees is what we allow, we allow them to see. But, uh, but uh, you know, sometimes we're carrying demons within us. And, and you know... There's, there's some disadvantages to having a, a really old pastor, but there's some advantages as well. And, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm the guy on the farmer's insurance commercial. You know, we, we, uh, we don't know a lot of things because we've seen a lot of things. And, and I've been a pastor for almost 30 years now in some capacity or another. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty much impossible to shock me so... So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here and happy to talk to anybody who might be facing any, any particular struggle. So I just wanted to put that out there. It's, uh, it was just, just weird this week. Uh, and, I mean, unfortunately, in my, my own uh, ministry, I've seen, seen personally too many people like Miss Spade and Mr. Bourdon who just uh, out of nowhere in the midst of of an otherwise hap what, what seemed to everybody else like a happy life just decided they couldn't go on anymore and uh, so so just uh, don't don't go there talk to someone talk to me um, you know everybody hurts spiritually and psychologically I think sometimes spiritual pain psychological pain is, is the most life-threatening of all because it's the hardest to diagnose it's the hardest to cure but the one way of addressing I know of, of it, the one means for addressing I know of is to decide not to isolate, decide not to keep it a secret, and decide to talk to someone and get support and get help. So I wanted to offer that to you and, and mention that just uh, it seems, it, it seemed like a weird week in that way. So today we're in First uh, John chapter 5 verses one through five, we're just uh, almost ready to wrap up the, uh, the book of First John, which we've been working on for a couple months now. And uh, we're looking at some of the promises. First John talks about the signs we can look at in our own life 
to verify that we are indeed children of God and that we have eternal life. And so if you'd like to follow along, it's printed in your program, 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, because we love God and carry out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? Only one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show us what it means to know the hope we can have because Jesus has overcome the world and how we can appropriate and apply that hope in our own lives as we look at your word now. Make that real to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, there's, there's a saying that's popular in, in a lot of Christian circles, the advice that we should claim the promises of God. Have you ever heard that? You know, we've got to claim the promises, and those promises are there for us, and we've got to claim, claim them. And, and the thing that strikes me about it is that the promises of God, or when people say that they're pretty selective about which promises they encourage us to claim for ourselves. Uh, you know, Jesus in John 16, 33 said, in this world you will have trouble. And I've observed that that's not a promise that we like to claim very much. We, rather, we say when we find ourselves troubled in this world, where we kind of wonder why this is happening to us, and we say, well, well, this shouldn't happen to us because, because I'm trying to believe, because I'm trying to obey, because I'm trusting God with my life, because I'm praying, why am I continuing to have these troubles? But today what I want to talk about is is how to engage the troubles we have in our life and, and how we can begin to be overcomers in the midst of the troubles that life throws at us. Because what he talks about here is that we can be people who overcome the world, who overcome the troubles. And we look at this world, and the world is full of troubles, whether you're looking at, at a, you know, tension on the Korean Peninsula or the war in Syria and the global troubles that we have children starving to death in Venezuela, or we're looking at the troubles in our little world, the troubles in Jersey City, maybe the troubles in your building or on your block or, or among people that you know and, and uh, care about or in your family. But I found most of us, most of the time, aren't really thinking about world troubles or even neighborhood troubles because we can't get past the troubles in our own life. We're just so such a train wreck ourselves that to, to worry about any troubles beyond just those that exist beyond the end of our nose is impossible for us. But, and that's okay because what I want to talk about today is what it takes to be an overcomer, how we can over, become an overcomer of the personal issues that keep us limited, how we can be a positive overcoming influence in our neighborhood and in, among our friends and at work, and how maybe we can even become global overcomers and make a contribution towards changing the world. And so, just walking through this in a, in a few steps. First is we overcome, to be overcomers, we overcome by faith. We overcome through believing. 
you can't be an overcomer until you realize or unless you realize that it's actually not about you. It's not what you do. It's what God does in you and through you. He says, starts off and he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then at the very end, he says, who is he who overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Being an overcomer starts with what's your view of Jesus? How do you see Jesus? What's your response to Jesus? What's, what's the way you look at him? And when he says, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that's the very first phrase here, you've you got to understand that what the word Christ in the New Testament is from the, the Hebrew word Messiah. And that's basically the fulfillment of all of the promises. All of the Old Testament is about this Messiah that's going to come, that's going to rescue every, everybody, who's going to restore the people of God to their fortunes and restore the whole planet to the way God wants it to be. All of God's promises, all of our hope, all of the hopes of Old Testament people were tied to the Messiah. Uh, I mean, maybe you've heard the phrase, this guy has a Messiah complex or I'm looking for a Messiah or something like that. And, and that, that talks about the fact that, you know, we, we put, our, put our hopes in various individuals. We put our hopes in various plans. Or maybe we think we're the person who's going to rescue, who's going to fix this particular family or this particular situation or this particular problem. But when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, part of that is recognizing I'm not. But he is. A Messiah has come, and it's up to us to trust in him. And so the heart of Christian faith, obviously, is to say Jesus is the Messiah. But not just that he's the Messiah, but also verse 5 says that he is the Son of God. Who is he who overcomes the world? Look at verse 5. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, Jesus is certainly, inarguably, the most, one of the most influential people who ever lived. In fact, you know, every time we say what year it is, we're referring back to Jesus because it's 2018 what? Why do we pick 2018? Because history is divided for all humanity forever by the birth of Jesus. It's 2018 years since Jesus was born. And yet, what do we make of Jesus? A lot of people say, want to say, well, he was a, an important leader. He was an important teacher. He was an important example. But the Bible says that's the very thing we can't say about him. Because if you actually look at his teaching and you actually look at his life, if he was just the guy who said what he said and did what he did, he's got to be somewhat crazy. Bible says that you know, Jesus was a guy who went around in, in first century Israel among a monotheistic people and said, before Abraham was, I am, and claimed to be God. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts the conundrum this way. He says, I'm ready to, some people say I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. But this is the one thing you can't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You've got to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut Jesus up as a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him your Lord and your God. 
but stop with a patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. You can't become an overcomer until you put your faith and your trust in the one who did overcome, who's our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I know as we go through life and as we talk about faith and as we think about faith, and I know there's many people in, in various places in their journey of faith right now, and you might have questions about Christian ethics, you might have questions about the age of the earth, you might have questions about suffering or questions about philosophy as it, as it pertains to the Christian life. And, and those are all important questions and questions that, that are good to talk about. But here's another way of looking at it. If Jesus is not the Christ, if Jesus is not the Son of God, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead on the third day, then who cares about all those questions? Because Christianity is basically built on a false premise. But on the other hand, if indeed Jesus was the incarnate Son of God who became incarnate on the first Christmas, who died on the first Good Friday to take away our sins, and who rose again from the dead on the first Easter and conquered death for everyone who believes in him, and if he is, if he is the Christ, the, prom, the one who the Old Testament promised, then who cares about all those questions? All of those things will fall into face, place, and it's just simply up to us to embrace him as our Lord and Savior. But what the Bible says is the first step to becoming an overcomer is believing in him, believing he's, he is the Christ, believing him that he is the Son of God. A second thing I want to talk about is, is the importance of love. Because look, look at what, what he says here. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. What is it that motivates us to make a difference? What is the power that makes a difference in this world? Bible and human experience makes it clear that it's, it's the power of love, first and foremost, that makes that difference. And that's why Christianity is a religion of love. That's what your hearts are longing for. That's why, as someone said, heaven is a world of love, because that's what will make it heaven. Martin Luther King put it this way, Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that, and hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. See, hate can kill, but love gives light. Hate can destroy, but love can rebuild. And it's through learning how to love that we become overcomers. But that raises or that begs one of the big questions of life, which is, what is love? What do you mean when you say love? What is it when, when God calls us to be loving, what exactly is God calling us to? What is he looking for when he says that? Uh, you know, and, and I think many of you have perhaps found yourself in a relationship where you fall in love. And you know, when you fall in love at first, it's easy because because, uh, you know, every, everything you do is perfect. Everything you do is sweet. Every, every gift you buy is, is exactly what I wanted. And then, then, but then after a while, I've noticed these relationships tend to get a little confusing. And it's a little hard to decipher exactly what love is. You know, you, you understand that your significant other needs a new vacuum and your anniversary's coming up and say, well, this was a great opportunity to get that vacuum she wants. And, and you get the vacuum and all of a sudden, she, it, it doesn't go over well. Uh, 
but but you know and and, and it's it's actually a challenge in any relationship a challenge in any relationship is to know someone well part of loving someone is knowing them well enough to know to know how they're expressing love to know what kind of love they they are looking for you know a well-known book some of you might have seen was by a guy named uh, Gary Chapman called the five languages of love and he talks about how different people Karis is smiling and waving at people, <laughs> pointing at people. How, how does that book go, Karis? Ask Sam. Ask Sam? Okay. <laughs> All right. You can ask Sam to explain. I'm not going to explain it. You can just ask Sam. He, he's apparently an expert. <laughs> and he's single, so, uh, you know, just, <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> But, uh, but it's confusing to know in a relationship, but, but it's one of the challenges also in a relationship, right? Is to decipher and to figure out what it means and how it is we show love to this person in the different circumstances and in the different phases of uh, life and learn to speak someone else's love language. Now, the good news is this. God is more straightforward about what love is. And that's what I'm getting to is... Look at how he puts it here in, in our text. He says, this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. And this is love for God to keep his commandments. So what the Bible says, the Bible gives us guidance. The Bible is not, or God is not mysterious in terms of what he wants from us when he calls us to love him. He doesn't ask us to just say, well, if I have to tell you, then I don't want it, you know? Um, God says, this is what I want from you. Keep my commandments. And, you know, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, that's how you show that you love me. And so to be an overcomer, we've got to be motivated by love, but then also inspired to comply with God's commandments. God's commandments are not just suggestions he puts there. They're the ways that that's God's message to us in how he wants us to relate to him. And so the Bible gives us guidance of how we should handle money, how we should handle work, how we should use our words, how we should handle our relationships, how we should handle sex, how we should handle our children, our, our uh, families, and all of these things. And these are, his, are, are God's way of saying to us, this is how you can show me that you love me. This is how you can implement love for me. This is love for God to keep his commandments. Simply do that. Simply obey God and that's, that's loving them and then everything will be okay. And it says his commandments are not burdensome. And that's a nice thing for him to say, but if you're actually living life and dealing with what we're all dealing with, I think we find that often those commandments are somewhat burdensome. And the law is supposed to be the path to freedom, but sometimes we see the law keeping us from doing and being what we really wanna, wanna do. And I mean, frankly, I've got, I'm, I have yet to meet any spiritual, sensitive, honest person who is not deeply and profoundly burdened by the demands of God's commands and what God wants from us and, and doesn't feel absolutely crushed by their failure. And the more, you know, the irony is the more, the, the harder we try to keep God's law, 
the more we're aware of how far short we fall. And the more we study God's law to understand it, the more profoundly we become, we, we become uh, aware of how much we fail to live up to it. And so that's, that's it, though. If you want to be an overcomer, all you have to do is this. You just have to believe, you just have to love, and you just have to obey. You know, that's not easy. In fact, it's not difficult. I think, if we're honest with ourselves, it's actually impossible until or unless God does something in us. And unless you've realized it's impossible, you haven't begun to get to the place where it can actually happen for you and where it can actually happen in you. And uh, that's the challenge. But look at what he says here. He doesn't just say, just believe and just love and just obey. He says that this is something that happens as God works in us. He says, look at verse 4, he says, Everyone who's born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. He says, yeah, you've got to believe, you've got to love, you've got to obey, but that's not going to happen unless something supernatural happens in your heart. That's not going to happen unless something supernatural happens in your life. We call that experience regeneration or the new birth. And in fact, God gives us these commandments and places these demands on us to send us looking to him for hope, send us looking to him for grace. And it's not everyone who tries hard who overcomes the world. It's not everyone who's really strong and really good who overcomes the world. It's everyone who's born of God who overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. And this is what the New Testament is about in a nutshell, is that faith is not about what we do. Following Christ is not simply about some propositions that we believe. What, it's, what it goes for essentially is something deeper than that, a changed heart, a transformed heart. As he says in Ezekiel, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Before you can obey, before you can love, before you can believe, you, you must be born again. First and foremost, our faith is a supernatural encounter. I can't give you a list of rules that you can follow that will make you an overcomer. But if God changes your heart, if God empowers your life, Maybe then you'll find the resources of love. Maybe then you'll find the resources of hope. Maybe then you'll be set free from your addictions and your slaveries and your habits and hang-ups and freed to, to worship God again, to see Jesus again for the first time. That's what happens when we say that Jesus is my anointed one and we grasp God's love for us. It says his commands are not burdensome in this text. And, you know, that, that's, that's the confusing line to me because in my life and in my observation of my friends and family, people I've tried to help, those commands can absolutely crush us when we try to comply with them on our own. But, but this verse reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. When Jesus said, come, uh, excuse me, Matthew 11:28. 28, 
Come to me, all of ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we come with the burdens on our life and on our heart because of our own personal failure, we come burdened because of the challenges and the turmoil in our family, we come burdened because of the challenges and turmoil in in uh, the Middle East and in South America and the Far East and everywhere else, wherever, whatever is the hot spot on the news today. We come with those burdens. We come with those challenges. Jesus says, bring them to him. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. That's what it means to see him and recognize him and affirm him as your Messiah. That's what it means to know his love so that you can love others. That's what gives you the power to say, you know, actually the path of obedience is the path I want to walk down because I realize that is the path of freedom. And, uh, you know, I know in our room today and any day, you know, we're at different stages in this struggle. We're at different stages in this process. And, and all of us are probably self-conscious of the ways we're falling short of being what God wants us to be. We're falling short of complying with his commandments. We're falling short of experiencing all the freedom of the children of God. But, but that's because you've just been born again, perhaps, because you're just beginning to understand this. I mean, look at little baby Lauren. I guess she's, she's left the building now. I was going to have her up again. But, but you know, think, think of that little baby or any little baby that you've ever seen or just held. You know, a healthy baby, a nurtured baby, a well-cared-for baby that's, uh, that's just been born. We expect that, that baby Lauren, she weighs about 10 pounds now, but she's going to continue to grow and develop. All she can do is babble now, but one day we expect she's going to be able to talk. Since she's Jing's child, she's going to, by the age of four, she's going to speak English and Chinese, right? Or, um, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sue Young's going to see to that. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, and, I mean, and think about that. In four or five years, that child's going to be bilingual. It's going to speak English and Chinese. There's only a couple people in this room who can hope to do that, uh, you know. She's going to learn to sing. She's going to learn to run. She's going to learn to jump. Uh, you know, and, and she could be anything. This baby Lauren could be anything. One day she might be an Olympic athlete or a Nobel Prize winner. She might be, you know, 30 or 40 years from now, she might be the, the second or third Chinese-American uh, woman who's president of the United States. Uh, you know, th there's all kinds of possibilities open for this little, little baby right now, but right now, She's just a baby. Right now, she can't talk. Right now, she can't walk. But she's been born. And, but with her mother and father teaching her, protecting her, caring her, struggling with her, working with her, making sure she gets the guidance she needs, making sure she gets the help she needs, that child is going to grow up into a strong, independent adult woman. So here's the challenge for each of us. You know, each of us, we're, we're like one of these helpless little babies right now. And sometimes we look at our lives and we say, well, am I born again or not? Is this real or not? 
has God moved in my heart or not? Because I'm still stumbling. I'm still falling. I can't do what I think I should, I should do. I can't be what I think God wants me to be. And, and, and we can't imagine, imagine that reality because it doesn't seem like that power has been released in our lives yet. But what the Bible says about everyone who believes in Christ, who recognizes that Jesus is their Messiah, who loves him and experiences his love for them, what the Bible says about all of us, what we all have in common, is that one day we're going to be transformed into something so glorious that if you were to meet that person right here and right now, you might be tempted to worship him. A couple pages earlier in 1 John chapter 3, John says this, We are children of God, and you know what? What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. You might be a train wreck right now, but one day you are going to be filled with glory. One day you're going to be able to, you're going to become someone who you can't even believe right now. See, sometimes some of us are stumbling and bumbling through life, but I've got friends, I've got friends right now who are confined to wheelchairs. But because they're believers, you know what that means? One day they'll be able to run and sing and dance again when they have their new bodies and they have their new life. You know, right now, some of us can sing well, some of us can't sing so well. Some of us can only cry. But the Bible promises that one day, all of us will be able to join the angel chorus and sing. You know, right now, some of us look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. We look at our lives and we don't like what we see. We look at our bank accounts, we don't like what we see. We look at our, our family situation, our personal situation, and, and it just a, it seems like it's an irredeemable train wreck. But what the Bible promises for all of us who are born again, that God's, the seed of life that's been planted in you means, means that one day, You'll have a glorious new life, be part of a glorious new family, and have a glorious new hope because you're children of God. Romans 8, it's incredible. It says that this creation has been subjected to frustration until the children of God are revealed. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. You know, and as you go through life, as you struggle with this, as you stumble, as you fall, as you wonder if you'll ever, ever get this right, I just want to encourage you. I mean, one of the funnest things in life is to watch a baby take his or her first steps. How many of you have watched a baby take her first steps? Any of you? A few of you? Okay, most of you, some of you. But now, Imagine, you know, imagine that scene. You're, you're, you're in, in your living room. You're, watch, you're watching a baby struggle to go from crawling to walking. And everybody's cheering the baby on. You know, this will happen in about 12 months or so. Uh, everybody's cheering the baby on. And, and the ba baby realizes they're the center of the attention. So they climb up on the couch. And they push away from the couch and start taking those first steps. And then they stumble and fall. They made two steps. What does everybody in the room say? What do mom and dad say? Oh, this is hopeless. This child will never learn to walk. 
I, I'm just so ashamed of this child. <laughs> what do you think God says when he sees you stumble and fall? When he sees you fall short? He's cheering you on. He's holding you up. And he's going to help you become everything you ever hoped to be. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your promise to us that everyone who loves you, who believes in you, who believes in Christ is born of God. And I pray that that will become a vital reality in each of our lives. And Father, I'd imagine all of us, if everyone here who is born of God, looks at uh, parts of their life and says, I, I, I just don't know how this is ever going to be fixed. We have physical problems, we have personal problems, we have relationship problems, and we just don't know how they're going to be resolved. Uh, and we wonder about your presence, we wonder about your power, we wonder about our own abilities. So, Lord, I pray in the midst of all that that you would be gracious to us. Remind us that you are the loving Father who's cheering us on as we struggle to walk as we struggle to take the next step. And one day, we will become everything you designed us to be by faith. We pray this. Help us to believe this and give us this hope that we might continue to step forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.